0: What's your opinion about Dr. Fauci? Are you pro or con? How about Bill Gates? What do you think about him? Who would you rather have move in next door? Donald Trump or George W. Bush? All right, how about Barack Obama or Bill Clinton? Why? Why? If your sister was going to marry someone, would you rather that it would be Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, or Leonardo DiCaprio? Why? How about if you got the position of selecting the next athletic director at your local high school, and you got to choose from three applicants, would you pick Tom Brady, Tiger Woods, or Colin Kaepernick? Why? Why him? Now, I could go on asking you unlikely questions about celebrities, but, but I won't. The, the point I wanted to make is that you probably have an opinion about these people. And if you're like me, it's probably based on not a lot of actual information. That I, I have opinions about all of these people, but I don't know any of them to speak of. I, I am exposed to them. they're They're part of our cultural landscape, but I don't really know them. So... Uh, why do I have an opinion about them? Um, I, I know, my, my mom taught me, don't judge a book by its cover. And yet I do. I, I judge a book by its cover all the time. And publishers know I do, and that's why they spend so much money making the the, the covers of books look attractive. So I, I understand that, that I am uh, someone who judges a book by its cover. And in the case of celebrities... I don't even get a good look at the cover. I get I get a couple of glimpses of the cover. You know, I, I get a little piece here or a little piece there. I'm in the supermarket counter and I get I get a little piece of of the the Brad Pitt uh, uh, book cover, which is. A unflattering photograph and a, and a headline that makes him look like an unpleasant person, or maybe I see him on one of the slick magazines in the in the supermarket, and in that case it 's a good photo, and the headline is very very intriguing and, and it 's been approved by a publicist um, but but they 're both just just little glimpses of the cover of a book. I certainly don 't know what 's inside the book, and yet I have these opinions about people. And I understand it's 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 not wise for me to have these opinions, and yet I do. I have opinions about real people, people in in my actual world, not people in the supermarket checkout counter, but actual real people. I have opinions about them, and um, in, in the case of in the case of the people around me, the people that I know personally, I at least know something about them. But I don't know everything about them. It's, it's not like they've never surprised me. I mean, they surprise me all the time. In fact, I surprise myself. I'm not transparent, even to myself. And of course, we aren't transparent to one another. So I understand that. Um, and in fact, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a line in the Bible I love. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, says, I don't understand what I do. <laughs> and and I don't think you have to be a Christian to believe that. Uh, I think I think even even a staunch atheist can give me an amen for that. I don't understand myself. I don't understand why I do the things I do. Um, we we don't always understand what we're doing, and yet and yet we form opinions, and we form opinions about other people. So so we do that, and sometimes even when we do have some actual knowledge, when when we've seen when we've seen someone, we we have that we have the habit of taking that little bit of knowledge and making a filter out of it and then filtering everything through that. It becomes this this way of understanding what the other person is like. And so we say to them, well, that's very typical of you. Or we say, that's so like you. Or maybe we say, you always do that. We we take that little bit of knowledge we have and we turn it into the, the prism that we use to look at them and to understand everything they do. And we might know yes there you know of course possibly there are some extenuating circumstances this time but let's face it when there's this much smoke there's probably fire too so so even when we when we know that we're doing something that probably we shouldn't do we do it anyway because we just we we assume that there there must be something to this pattern of behavior that we have we have observed in people and That brings us to our topic today because we are in a conversation for Lent about the Ninth Commandment. The Ninth Commandment, the way that, the way that I number them at least is, is the commandment that says we should not testify falsely. And what we've been learning about that is that that includes courtroom testimony. We shouldn't, we shouldn't use our testimony to get other people in trouble. But what we've been learning is that it's not limited to courtrooms. That that we can say things that are false outside of a courtroom that are still a violation of at least the spirit of the the Ninth Commandment, if not the the letter of the Ninth Commandment. And for that matter, we can say things that are true but designed to hurt people. And we can do that, and and when we do that, that's a a violation of the spirit of the Ninth Commandment as well. And uh, what we're going to see today is that we can do the same thing without even opening our mouths. We can, we can testify falsely about somebody all in our own head. And when we do that, when, when we, when we testify about ourselves, when we say, or or about other people, when we, when we make these assessments, when we form opinions about people, that's called judging. And Jesus said, don't judge people. Jesus said, we are not supposed to judge. In fact, Jesus said, said, do not judge, you too will be judged. He says that the measure we use to judge other people will be used um, that we will get a measure back with that same measure. So, so uh, we know that we shouldn't do it. We can we can kind of pick it apart in the abstract and say, I understand what I'm doing doesn't really make much sense, and that's why Christians never judge anybody. In fact, nobody has ever been to a church and left that church thinking that they had been judged because we're so good at not judging people. Well, <laughs> I wish that were so. The fact is that Christians often judge people. In fact, some Christians have have done it so much and so well that I think they've given all of us Christians, or maybe I do it so well that I've given all of you Christians, a reputation as people who who judge. In that same passage uh, where Paul talks about um, about doing the thing that um, he he uh, about the, the the passage where he says he don't doesn't understand what he does, he says he says also that. He, um, this is why you're supposed to mark your your Bible. Um, Paul says, he, he says, he says, I don't do what um, I don't understand what I do, um, and he says, I, I um, do the thing uh, that I don't want to do. He says, um, I don't do the good I want to do, but I do the evil that I don't want to do, a- and and so this is the situation a lot of us are in. We know that we're judging people. We know that we are. Testifying falsely about them in our heads, and yet we do it anyway. So, as a result, we feel guilty. We say, Jesus is not smiling at me right now, and then we go ahead and we do it. So instead of, instead of uh, talking about uh, a reason that we should feel guilty, I want to do something else. I want to give us an alternative. Instead of, instead of judging people and feeling guilty about it, I want to, I want to propose something that we can do, that the more we do, we can, we can learn to do this, and the more we do it, the less we will judge other people. And, uh, that brings us to our readings today. We, we are looking at the story of a man named Barnabas. Barnabas is a character who appears throughout the, the story of the Acts of the Apostles. So it's one of the New Testament documents. It was written by the same person who wrote the, the biography of Jesus called Luke. So, so uh, the author of Acts, Luke, tells us about... Um, Tells us about Barnabas and he begins telling us about Barnabas in chapter 4 and he goes all the way to chapter 15 and then his focus changes and he moves on to other people. But we begin by, by learning about Barnabas in chapter 4, but we're going to skip a lot of that because it's a long story. We're just going to look at three different little uh, vignettes of his life that will tell us an important thing about Barnabas, something that we can, we can actually model in our own lives. So, so what we see about Barnabas as we look at these passages is that Barnabas Um, over and over again, Barnabas has the opportunity to judge people. And instead of judging them, he takes a risk and gives them a second chance, or in some cases, the third and the fourth chance. Barnabas takes a risk and gives people another chance. So what I want to do is I want to look at the story of Barnabas. Now, Barnabas often... um, like I said, his story goes on for, for 11 different chapters in, in the book of Acts, but we don't see a lot about him. There's, there's just these little sketches that appear from here to, from, from time, time to time because most of the focus in this passage or these passages is about his traveling companion, Paul. Now, in the early parts of the, the story, Paul is described as a traveling companion of Barnabas, but very quickly the focus shifts to Paul, and Barnabas becomes the traveling companion of Paul. But when we begin the story of of their interaction, when they first uh, got connected to one another, we read how Paul is a um, is a new Christian. He has just been converted to become a, a follower of Jesus. And the reason he did that was, or the reason that that happened is because Paul had been an opponent of the church. Paul was a persecutor of the church and we, we can go back and pick up his story. But basically, he, he wanted to wipe out this sect of Christians. And so he did everything he could to get rid of them in Jerusalem. And then when they all either, either disappeared or uh, went uh, went away from Jerusalem. He got permission. He got arrest warrants, basically, to go find them wherever they were. And so he was on his way to uh, a town in northern um, uh, in, in in the north called Damascus. The, it's the capital of modern day Syria. He was on his way to Damascus, and along the way, he had an experience of the the living Lord Jesus Christ, and he became a follower of Christ. So he went to Damascus. And the people there knew who he was, and they didn't want any part of him. Uh, Jesus had to actually appear to somebody in a vision in order to get them to go find Paul and bring him into the church. So, so that happens. Uh, but because Paul is Paul, Paul's the kind of character that that we read about in the Book of Acts. That that Paul characteristically uh, uh, goes all in on his new faith, and he very quickly alienates a lot of the people in Damascus, specifically. They want to do to him what he came there to do to the Christians. And so so they're ready to kill him, and so Paul has to sneak out of town. And so he goes back to he goes back to Jerusalem, where he came from. And in Jerusalem, well, Paul's got a reputation, too. The whole reason he was in Damascus is because he was trying to find people that he had chased out of Jerusalem. So the Christians who are still in Jerusalem are in hiding. They're not letting Paul know where he is. Paul is radioactive. Nobody wants anything to do with Paul. Except Barnabas. So it says when we, we read in in chapter nine, it says when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. No kidding, they didn't believe he was really a disciple. But then Barnabas brought Saul to the apostles and told them the story about how Saul saw the Lord in the way, and that he and that the Lord had spoken to Saul. So Barnabas says. I was here in Jerusalem. I mean, as far as we know, it, it never tells us that he was outside of Jerusalem. Barnabas has done the research, though. He he did some fact-checking. He went on to, you know, roadtodamascus.com or whatever they did in those days. He actually looked it up. He found out the story about Paul, and he did some checking of his own, and he became persuaded by it. He began to believe, this guy is legit. I think he actually has changed. And then when he was convinced... He went and he told the others. He persuaded them that Paul was worth taking a chance on. So they took a chance on Paul. And very quickly, Paul does exactly what he had done in Damascus. He gets everybody upset with him, and he has to leave town. So Paul goes away. Paul goes north. He goes not to Damascus. He can't go there. So he goes back to his hometown, his hometown of Tarsus. Tarsus is way up at at the very northeastern corner. If you think of if you think of the Mediterranean Sea as a as a as a rectangle that separates Europe in the north and Africa in the south, uh, he's from he's from up here. He's from the the northeast corner, and so he goes all the way up to Tarsus, and then he's just there for a while, and then the story goes on. There's some there's some complications because because we learn that when people like Paul had chased all the early Christians out of Jerusalem that they had gone to different places. They had gone to Damascus, for example, as we know, but they went to other places too. They went to Antioch, and they went to Cyprus, and they went to other places around the the eastern Mediterranean. And over time, stories begin to to, to percolate back to to Jerusalem that say, hey, guess what? They are telling people in those other communities about Jesus, and there are new believers who are being hatched all over um, the, the, the eastern Mediterranean. And so the, the people back in Jerusalem, they say, we need to check up on this. They, they're, they're amazed and delighted that, that God can do this, that even out of this, this uh, uh, persecution, God can bring um, new opportunities for grace to, to enter the world. So they're delighted by that, but they say, we need to get to the bottom of this. Let's find out what's going on. So we jump forward a couple of chapters to chapter 11 and we read when the church in Jerusalem heard about this they sent Barnabas to Antioch so Barnabas was from Cyprus he was from from uh, uh, an island um in the in the northeast of the mediterranean and so they said um or we don't know how but they sent they sent Barnabas maybe he volunteered you know i can go back you know go go home or something like that so so they sent Barnabas up to Antioch and when he arrived and saw evidence of god's grace he was overjoyed and encouraged everyone to remain fully committed to the lord so we read a little bit more about Barnabas there, but then it says this. It says, instead of going straight to Cyprus, Barnabas went to Tarsus in search of Saul. He hadn't forgotten about Saul. So he says, I'm going to go check out my, 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 th- this, this guy, Paul, this, this, this guy I have met in Jerusalem, the guy who had this big conversion story. I'm going to go see what's going on with him. So he does. He goes up to Tarsus and he brings Paul back to Antioch. So now Paul and Antioch are in, are, Paul and, and, and Barnabas are in Antioch. And Luke throws in the little bit of information. It says they were there for a whole year meeting with the church and teaching large numbers of people. And it was in Antioch where the disciples were first labeled Christians. So we get that little tidbit of information about Paul and um, Barnabas in Antioch, and then we're going to jump forward uh, a little uh, longer because what happens is they decide to go on a journey. They, they decide to go to Cyprus, where um, Barnabas is from, and, and they do that, but they also bring with them uh, a relative of Barnabas named John Mark. Now, John Mark is better known to us as Mark, the, the writer of the, the second gospel, the second biography of Jesus. Is by, is by John Mark or sometimes called Mark. So they bring Mark with him, uh, with them and they go first to Cyprus and then they go north of Cyprus to Asia Minor. So they're now on the north coast of the, of the Mediterranean Sea. And while they're there, we don't know why John Mark bails out. We don't know what, you know, Luke doesn't tell us what happened with, with Mark, but he's had enough and he quits. So, they go on, they finish the rest of their journey, they come back, and then there's a lot of traveling. They go to Jerusalem and back to Antioch and so forth. So they, they do a lot of traveling. And one of the, one of the trips they make is they go down to Jerusalem where, um, they tell people about all the things that has, have been going on, you know, in, in the, the Mediterranean Rim. They talk about all these converts to Christianity that are, that are, uh, uh being, being produced all over. And, um, they, they bring a question with them, which is, can these guys become Christians or do they have to become Jews in order to become Christians? Can they stay, you know, their, their Gentile background uh, or, and, and become a follower of Jesus or do they have to first become a Jew and then they can become uh, a follower of Jesus. And what that, what that big council in Jerusalem decides is that they can go straight to, to being a Jesus follower. They can become a Christian without first becoming a Jew. And so, that's a that's an important thing that that Luke spends some time on, but then we read about um, what happens next. Paul and Barnabas go back to Antioch, and when they're in Antioch, we read sometime later. Paul said to Barnabas, "Let's go back and visit all the brothers and sisters in every city where we preach the Lord's word. Let's see how they're doing." So they want to go back and see those places in Cyprus and and in uh, Asia Minor and so forth, and they, they want to see what's been going on there, and Barnabas says, that's a great idea. Uh, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them, though. And Paul insisted they should not take him along, since he had deserted them in Pamphylia, in, in Asia Minor. And he hadn't continued with them in their work. So they have a disagreement. Should I bring John Mark or not? And they decide. Um, it says, "It says their argument became so intense that they went their separate ways. Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and left. And That's that's the last we see of Barnabas, that from there on, he's going his way, and the focus continues to follow Paul. So that's all we know about him. But what we see in these these handful of vignettes about Barnabas is that when he has the opportunity to judge someone, to say, I've heard about that person, and I don't want any part of him. I've heard about him, and that's very typical. That fits in with everything I've heard about that guy. Instead, what Barnabas does is he takes a risk, and he gives them a chance. He does it with Mark. He does it with Paul. Paul, Paul is the most terrifying man to the early church. They know about him. They they know he's been involved in at least one murder, and uh, who knows how many uh, imprisonments and and uh, tortures and everything else. They know he's been persecuting the church. They have every reason to be afraid of Paul. But Barnabas says, "I'm going to check out his story. I'm going to I'm going to find out." what actually happened in Damascus. And he does. And when he's persuaded, he tells the church, we should give this guy a chance. And in the same way, when Paul is up in Tarsus, Barnabas says, I'm going to look up Paul. I'm going to see what's been going on with him. And he invites Paul to come down and be part of that first missionary journey, the one that goes to Cyprus and to uh, Asia Minor. He takes another chance on Paul. And as part of that, he also includes his relative, John Mark. And John Mark Bails out for whatever reason we don't know, but later on, Barnabas says, "You know what? I want to give I want to give John Mark another chance." Even when Paul says, "Let's not," Barnabas says, "No, let's let's do. Let's give him another chance." So we see this is characteristic, at least so far as as the writer tells us anything about about um, uh, Barnabas. We see he characteristically gives people another chance. And I want you just to imagine for a minute. How different the world would be if he hadn't. Imagine a world where John Mark was told, hey, you know, John, John Mark, we've talked it over and we've decided, you know, no, you can't come. You, you deserted us in Pamphylia. We don't know what got into you, but we just don't, we can't take that risk with you anymore. So no. And imagine if John Mark had said, those guys are right. They are. Super Christians, they are, they have more faith than I ever will, and they're basically telling me that, that that's it. You know, I just need to give up. This whole Christian thing is just a waste of my time. I'm not gonna pursue it anymore. Imagine if John Mark had said that. Imagine if he had said, there's no point in me gathering up all these stories about Jesus and putting them together in a coherent biography. Imagine a world without the biography of Jesus that we call the gospel according to Mark. Because if you can imagine that, you also have to imagine uh, one without most of of Luke and Matt's biography either. Because they obviously, it's clear from the text, that, that one of the sources they consulted was Mark's biography. So imagine imagine how different the world would be if Barnabas hadn't taken a chance on John Mark and encouraged him in a place where he was probably very vulnerable. Imagine imagine how different the world would be if Barnabas had not first investigated the stories about Paul. If he hadn't looked into Paul's story and said, "You know what? I think we should give this guy a chance." Imagine imagine if if he, if, if Paul had kind of knocked on doors around Jerusalem for a while no one would touch him. And he just said, well alright, I quit, I go back up to Tarsus. Imagine, imagine a world where Paul never traveled with, with Barnabas on that first journey, never came back to Jerusalem and, and uh, helped helped bring about the decision that Gentiles could become Christians without becoming Jews, never went on that, that second journey where he and he and Barnabas split up, and they went their separate ways. Barnabas went to the, the, the path they'd already been on. Paul found new, new places to go. He traveled across Asia Minor and into Europe. He founded churches wherever he went. He wrote them letters after he'd, after he'd been there, and those letters eventually became about a quarter of the New Testament. Imagine how different the world would be if Paul hadn't been trusted when he needed to be by somebody who had lots of reasons not to trust him. Imagine how different the world would be without Barnabas. And then think to yourself, what about the people in my life? Who who do I not trust? Who have I made my opinion about? Who have I decided... I know enough. I may not know everything, but I know enough. And imagine them. What might their future hold? See, we don't know any more than Barnabas knew about Paul and about John Mark. We don't know what the future holds. And in fact, we also don't know what their heart holds. We, we, we may know some things about someone. We may know, we may know their story, but we don't know their future. And we certainly don't know their heart. We may know the sins they've committed in the past, but we don't know the repentance that's in their heart. Those are things that none of us can know. And so instead of feeling guilty because you judge people, how about taking a risk? How about giving people another chance? And, and I'm going to say, don't just do that for people, you know, it's easier to do for people, you know, you uh, He's coming to Thanksgiving, I might as well, you know, give him another chance. But give it to people you don't know. Give it to those celebrities, right? We don't know. We know we don't know enough about the celebrities. We know that we don't know who we'd rather have moved next door. I mean, I have an opinion about Donald Trump or George Bush or Barack Obama. I mean, I may have ideas about which one I'd rather have move in next door, but none of them are moving in next door. None of them... Are getting married to my sister. None of them are becoming athletic director at the local high school. It's okay if I'm ignorant. I can say, I don't know. You know, and, and I don't know which one would be a better neighbor. I don't know which one would be better at the local high school. I don't know. And we can embrace that ignorance because we're not God. We don't have to judge them. Now, if they were part of our life, Sure, we'd have to we'd have to make those other decisions, but even then I think we should be like Barnabas. But particularly when we don't know them, we can say, I don't know. I don't know about that person. And when we do, almost certainly people will say, but wait, I saw on Tucker this thing. You, did you see the thing on Tucker? Did you see the thing on John Oliver? Did you see the thing on Jimmy Kimmel? Did, did you even see that? I can't believe you're defending that person. I can't believe you're excusing the thing they did. But my guess is Barnabas heard a lot of that too. People told Barnabas, I can't believe that you're excusing John Mark. I cannot believe you're defending Paul. But he did. He took a risk and he trusted them. And I think if we do that, instead of feeling guilty about the fact we're judging people, if instead we take a chance and we say, I don't know, or in the case of people we, we do know some, we can say, I know, I know a little, but I don't know what's on the inside. I don't know what their future holds. I'm going to take a chance. If we do that, who knows what the future might hold for them? Let's be like Barnabas. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the stories about, about the people in the Bible who did not get cities named after them. People who are not as well known as Paul and John Mark and all the others. Thank you for the stories of people like Barnabas who inspire us and remind us that there are alternatives to simply disobedience and and feeling guilty, that there is actually something we can do. We can model ourselves after real people who did real things and changed the world. Lord, we pray you would guide us so that maybe we can't change the world, but we can change someone's future. And maybe, in some small way, we can be part of what you're doing to change the world. We pray all this through Christ our Lord. Amen.